Hopefully we are all hooked up and ready to go. Praise God. Welcome, everyone. Merry Christmas. It is that time of the year. Maybe this will help you uh, um, enjoy it all the more. Yesterday, as I was um, doing my daily reading in the uh, news, um, different places and things like that, and it was hit upon this morning in prayer that um, to pray for, definitely pray for the uh, persecuted church. One of the articles that was really disturbing, but it fit everything that, that Jesus told us to expect in China. In China, where uh, there are Christians, and it's one of the fastest growing places on the, on the earth where the church is really growing, even under, and especially under the persecution. Um, the government is moving quicker and faster in order to have little settings like this where they just come in and knock the buildings down. And they're told even in their private gatherings in their own homes, uh, this, is, this is socialism, y'all. You know, that's what they are. They're a socialist communist party. And when they decide they're going to do something, um, they are even told that they cannot read the Bible anymore. They have to stop that because they might just get some ideas that they're free, you see. We can't have that. So pray for them and just rejoice all the more that we're in a place where we can really enjoy the freedoms that we have and we don't think about those things. When I was reading that, my heart was just broken and these poor people, that uh, the a pastor that went missing over a year ago, he's just gone missing. Um. Because I don't know if you remember or not, but I actually read his declaration that he put out there on the internet. Um, thank God for B, uh, VPNs that people can have even in those places where the government can't go in and, and uh, look through your stuff because you're doing it through a totally a virtual uh, private network. And he was able to get the stuff out and he made this proclamation that, hey, this is what's happening, this is what's going on, this is a persecution that we're facing. And in light of all that, I am still going to praise our God and worship our King, and that will not deter me. And he's gone missing, and has been missing for over a year, and um, nobody knows where he's at. Nobody's heard of him, heard from him, I should say. So we should be rejoicing in the very fact that we have these freedoms and liberties that we still have and enjoy. And um, on the other hand, the other thing that I was reading in some news article that was... Um, more friendly towards us. In the White House, there was actually somebody that put on YouTube that they were, a group of Christians were invited to come in and actually have a worship service there where they were able to go there and sing praises to our King. And that was really awesome because that was welcomed and invited by our president. So he said, come on in. And, uh, um, you know, for whatever weird reason, he loves having Christians around him. Um, hopefully it's not just for political reasons. Um, but it was good to see that people were saying, hey, you know, we're, we can't believe that we were invited to come and sing praises to Jesus in our White House. It's just, to them it was just, and they were showing, just to make people understand. We're not just saying this. We're not just in some weird office somewhere making this stuff up. And they were scanning and seeing. You could see that it's actually the Washington the White House grounds, so it was one of the wings that was uh, there. So on the other hand, we do have that, and praise God for that. 
Um, I wanted to continue this morning, um, pick up where we weren't able to, to go last week. And uh, last week I read about all the uh, probabilities of, of the, um, the, the, what are the probabilities of all these uh, things coming to pass, these prophecies that were spoken. Remember those huge numbers of one person fulfilling all of these things and how just inexplicable it is apart from the fact that God said, no, this is the way it's going to be and this is what's going to happen. And why? Because of His providential hand. He has decreed things and they're going to be because He has spoken them. And praise God for that. So I want to continue on that theme and, and, and continue and, and tying in with our, uh, our, our armor, um, our our full, the full armor of God, and I want to look at a little bit more at the, uh, the sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit? Anybody? The what? The Word of God, the rhema of God in the Greek. The spoken Word, the Word that is, that is alive and active. And, and it's, um, it is the, uh, you know, that's what we're told to do. We're to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And of course, the sword of the Spirit is that one weapon that we have that we can use and utilize to cut down our enemies and to mow them down and to, you know, put that last fatal blow into their other arguments and so on and so forth. So it's a powerful tool that we can use. And I wanted to tie that in with the, uh, with the very fact that, uh, you know, we're celebrating um, 2,000 years, nearly 2,000 years after the, the events, the fact that Jesus did come, that the Son of God actually did come, and that He was the fulfillment of what was spoken. And why does that matter? Why, why, is it, why is it so important to us? I want to look at it through the lens of two words. One word would be rhema, and the other word would be the logos, both of them being chosen as word, the word. And the reason is, is because with the probabilities in the back of our minds from the last few weeks that we, we uh, were gathered together and, and going over those things, the the fact that they did happen, there's no need to um, spend a whole lot of time on the probability because we knew that they, they, they came to pass because of the one who had spoken them and who had revealed them, even thousands of years before they happened. We celebrate it because it's fact, because it's true, Right? And what Jesus said in, in John chapter 4, He said, those, the Father desires those who worship Him to worship Him in what? In spirit and in truth. And that's why. That's why we're able to do this. That's why we're gathered here. Um, and unfortunately, there's, uh, there's also those uh, places that are filled with people who are there to do their part to, and have not really understood the gospel have not been regenerated, have not been born again. And so they're doing their rightful duty, they think, to please God. And they've not understood that the, the, uh, when we worship God, we worship Him in spirit and in truth. And, and this time of the year, for me, it's, uh, um, I know a lot of people are, are bugged by all the songs, but that's because they're in retail stores and they're hearing Songs that really have nothing to do with anything. They're just fluffy songs that, that are meaningless. 
and just feel goodness and stuff like that, but they're they're empty. But I spend time just listening to songs and, and even newer songs that are that are written and they're focused on the coming of Christ. And it just fills my soul and it feeds me and I'm like, yes, this is just and uh, some of them are really good musicians, and that makes it even better. And I love to listen to it because it reflects the truth that we see. It reflects what we know has already come to pass. It, 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 it is one of those things where because of the word that has been given, we can know that they're true and we can worship in spirit and in truth. And that's what I wanted to kind of focus on, on the, on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. By means of, of uh, some of the um, uh, verses and some of the passages that I've chosen to focus on this morning, we're going to go through uh, quite a few of them here. Uh, Lord willing, we have time this morning, and that's great. Keep in, uh, in mind that uh, when, uh, um, when I mentioned Alfred Edersheim, um, he saw over 456 different prophecies. Um, most um, uh, scholars who study the field will admit that there's at least 300 different uh, um, prophecies that were spoken specifically fulfilled by Jesus. And the Word tells us that we can count on that and that we can trust that what we have is, is here is, is true. Um, one of the reasons that we believe is, is because of the validity of the Bible. Because the Bible has been attacked. It's constantly under this attack. But what people don't realize, and I love what, uh, I can't remember, I wish I knew who, who to give the credit to. Um, it was uh, probably some Puritan or, or somebody that said that the, uh, the uh, hammers of unbelief are shattered on the anvil of the Word of God. That's what they are. They're constantly hammering at the, at the anvil and they're, sh they're shattering their hammers because every time they come and they think they have something new, the Bible just proves itself over and over and over again. It's solid. It's foundational and it's, it's immutable. And it's, um, it is just an amazing thing that God has given us when we think about it. And we can get excited about it. Maybe in your hearts you're just feeling, yeah, this, this is all good stuff. So I want to look at it by means of um, remembering that we have a full armor, and the full the, the full armor begins with the with the uh, uh, with the word. That's where it starts, because we know that it's true. We it's been tested, it's been tried, over and over and over again. I mean, I think of John Newton, this guy who had this horrible life, who was a slave of a slave, who was a blasphemer like no other and who encountered one day on a stormy sea, he made a promise to God, save me, save me. After all of the debauchery that he had been involved in, and he came to understand, and that song that is probably the most popular Christian song, yeah, Amazing Grace. He came under the conviction of Amazing Grace. And he was saved. And that's why he wrote that song. He could, this amazing grace saves a wretch like me. He understood what he was. He understood who he was. But he also had understood 
the light of Christ. He understood who this baby that we celebrate is. Not just a baby. He's not just Messiah. He's not just a Savior. He's Creator. And these are the things that we have, and we can look back in Scripture and see that even the writers understood this. And so with that said, let's, uh, let's open up with uh, a prayer, and then we will uh, we'll go right into the Scriptures here. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And I really just appreciate this time of the year over and over again. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what we're going through, um, it's just a time when, when people more readily... Um, receive a cheerful Merry Christmas. Um, when they receive that and have that, uh, just that joy, that peace. Father, I pray that you would just continue to do what only you can do. Save rotten, wretched sinners like us. Use us for that purpose and for that, uh, that cause, your kingdom, to be expanded. Help us to understand and to grasp these things and the importance of, the, of what we have and to rejoice all the more, to have greater joy because what we have is true. What you've given and transmitted through time is trustworthy and that it's inerrant and infallible in, in its origination. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the God who, who created everything, who's uh, beyond and uh, um, who is, uh, transcends our existence. And yet you were willing to um, step through that curtain, as it were, and into your creation to leave behind the, the royal robes of glory and majesty and deity and uh, to put on those ragged, torn, tattered um, rags of humanity so that you could save, so that you could fulfill all that you had spoken and that you had planned before you even made anything. Thank you, Lord, for those tiny little hands that stretched out the, and measured out the heavens. Thank you for those little tiny eyes that, that saw the, the dawn of time. Thank you for uh, coming and being that uh, great Savior who, um, who would come and, and expose the sin and expose the world for what it is and be hated for it but you would save some through it. Thank you for that cross that you endured. Thank you for that mockery of a trial and those, those insults, those things that you endured for our sake so that we might know you, be saved, and rejoice, be redeemed, regenerated, and made new. Thank you, Lord, for all those things and more. What a great gift. Indeed, the greatest gift of all is the one who came. Thank you, Lord, for everything, and then some. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. So I want to begin with, uh, start with Matthew, concerning the word. And I want to, remember, I want to focus on two, two uh, of the Greek words, the rhema and the uh, logos. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, here we have a scene where Jesus is beginning his his ministry, and now he's gone 40 days and 40 nights, and he's gone out into the desert all alone. It kind of reminds me of the, from the law, the, the picture of the scapegoat who was sent out. There was two goats and one of the, the offerings, and, 
and one of them was the scapegoat. They would come and lay their hands and, and uh, just kind of uh, uh, give that picture of placing all the sins of Israel on that goat, and then it would be set out into the wilderness. And It's that same idea that I see here. And in Matthew chapter 4, um, it reads as following, then the, uh, starting in verse 3, and uh, the tempter came and said to him, now Jesus, remember, 40 days and 40 nights, no food, no water. He's at his weakest, if that's even possible. And he says to him, if you are the Son of God. Now notice, notice that uh, the way that he approaches and says things. Sounds familiar from way back in Genesis, doesn't it? Did God really say? If God said this, did he really mean it? If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered what? And said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word, rhema, that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is what sustains us. That is what feeds us. That is what fuels us and energizes us to be able to live in Christ for Christ. Because of the words that proceed out, the rhema that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what's recorded for us in one of the places where we can see what Paul is talking about when he says the sword of the Spirit. It's the word, the rhema of God that upgirds us or upholds us. Because it's true. In Luke chapter uh, 3, verses 1 through 3, this is part of the um, Christmas story. Um, and in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, this is how it reads. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea and uh, Trachonitis, um, and uh, Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God, the rhema of God, came to John. It's important to understand that. This is the same word that, that Paul uses when he's talking about the sword of the Spirit is the rhema of God. And it's the same rhema that came to John the Baptist. It came to him, as it says here in the word, the rhema of God, came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. Interestingly enough, it's the same thing where, same place where Jesus was, in the wilderness, not near and around a group of people or anything like that, but alone, singularly, with, with the, in the wilderness. And the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias. We know the story. Remember when John or when uh, Zacharias was finally able to to speak, and and uh, because he wrote down on the tablet what his name was. They were trying to call him, well, he, we'll name him Zacharias after, after his father. And his father definitively says, his name is John. Definitively. And Zacharias, and remember, they, the people were just wondering at all the things that were going on. And, and remember what they were questioning? 
what then will this child be? What's going to be the deal with this kid? What's God got in store for this guy? Um, He's there in the wilderness, and the rhema comes to to John, and the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What was he doing? He was making a way. He was preparing what? The way of what? Yeah. He was preparing the way for the Lord. He was preparing. He was doing what was spoken of back in Isaiah. It was fulfillment of everything that was being spoken of. And in it, the word of God, the rhema of God was, was, an, was the, the key component to the whole thing. And it's, they're careful to make sure that, that we understand that, that it was because of the word of God. It was to fulfill those things. And he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He was making a way for the Lord and for the word of God. Here in, uh, um, in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, this is a whole different, uh, this is a little bit different. This is the word logos, but it's still um, an important thing to understand. In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, this is how it reads. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word, the Logos of God. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets, and he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked them to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. So here you have... The Logos, people around were listening to the Logos. You have the Logos that John speaks of, and they're listening to the Logos. They're listening to the Word of God. Important thing to understand that this is why we do what we do and why we worship and why we have this season at all. Because the Word of God is the thing that we fall back on that it's trustworthy, and that we can, um, we can purposefully do what we do. We can purposely serve Him and seek Him and know Him because it is written that we should. And it's all wrapped around and it all starts from the Word of God. So He's standing there and He's preaching and He's teaching. And what an amazing thing to be able to Think about just being there and listening to Jesus teach. That would be just an amazing thing because his focus was singular the whole time that he was there. And remember what the Logos says is is, uh, in the definition of what the Logos is. It speaks of, of, of speech. It's a word uttered by a living voice. It's a word uttered by a living voice. It embodies a conception or idea. What someone, when it comes to concerning what someone has said, it's a word. It's the sayings of God. It is a decree or a mandate or order. And the moral precepts given by God. 
It's in the Old Testament prophecy given by the prophets. He has spoken of that, which is what we're talking about, which is why we light candles, why we have the wreath, why we have this big white candle in the middle, because of what was spoken, because of the logos that was given, and because of the rhema that was spoken. What is declared a thought, declaration, aphorism, a weighty saying, a dictum, a maxim? Of discourse, it's the act of speaking or speech, the faculty of speech, skill and practice in speaking, a kind of style of speaking, a continuous speaking discourse or instruction. It is also used in terms of doctrine or teaching. That's an important thing because even Paul, when he's talking to, when he's writing to Timothy as a young pastor, and one of the things that Paul says is, watch carefully your life and your doctrine, your teaching. Watch those things carefully. And he's right. He's right. Uh, just the other day, I was, my uh, uh, a family member had posted something that, that uh, um, one of these uh, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it guys teaches. And he's standing there and he's, he's very emphatic in his way that he's presenting and preaching and, and he says that, that you know he can take out he can take and tear a piece of, of Matthew, a page of the Bible out because it's not necessary, it's not needed there because because that's speaking of something that's old and, and we don't need to worry about that. It's the new covenant is all we need to focus on. And and I'm listening going uh <laughs> And this, is a, and this is what's ironic, is at the end of their messages, these, these guys that do that, they're always quick to remind people of, hey, don't forget the tithe. Don't forget to put your tithe in there. Tithing is not a New Testament concept. It's a totally old, lawful, Old Testament deal. But these are the guys, same guys that say, well, you know, it's, it's not really, we're not really, you know, we don't want to be part of the law. We want to discount that, except for when it comes to this one thing. Tithing is, and it's really more in the New Testament, it's the offering of what God has given. Because what God has given us, we should feel free to offer. It's not about being tied up into this lawful thing. We should give, because God has given so much more. But it's not about that. And so these guys that teach this stuff, they... they the instruction and the, the doctrine that they teach is just dangerous. And so I posted there on my family member, I said, hey, be careful of these, these kind of guys, lest they lead you astray. you got to be careful. I'm thankful that I had a friend and a cousin, another pastor, who, uh, uh, a cousin who's a pastor, chimed in and said the same thing. Hey, this, this guy's a charlatan, you know, stop listening to this guy. Um, and it was good. So we're to watch our doctrine and teaching. Um, logos is of anything reported in speech, a narration or a narrative. I know this is a lot, but I think it's important. It's also anything reported, uh, excuse me, matter under discussion, the thing spoken of, an affair. Um, and that's not what the modern mind thinks of when you say an, an affair. People have tried to beautify the word adultery and make it 
more presentable by saying, oh, well, they had an, a love affair. Uh, no, Bible calls it adultery. That's, that's what it is. Let's just keep it as simple like that because it's the simplicity of truth. And it's, a, it's also a, a matter of dispute, a case, suit at law. But I want to read uh, more importantly this. Um, in John, in uh, one of the, the, the main um, definitions, in John, um, the book of John, it denotes the essential word of God, Jesus Christ. The personal wisdom and power in union with God. His minister in creation and government in the universe. The cause of all the world's life, both physical and ethical. Which for the procurement of man's salvation put on human nature in the person of Jesus, the Messiah, the second person in the Godhead, and shone forth conspicuously from his words and deeds. And then it says, a Greek philosopher named Heraclitus first used the term logos around 600 B.C. to designate the divine reason or plan which coordinates a changing universe. The word is well suited to John's purpose in John 1. It's well suited. So it's the word that, that Jesus was teaching, and it was the word who was teaching the word, and they were listening. And what a great privilege that would have been. And it still is that privilege because we can get it right here. So let's move to uh, um, those who were granted to know the mysteries. And Jesus here makes a distinction. Um, in Luke chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. So in Luke chapter 8, verses 10 through 12, this is what's recorded for us. And he said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Notice, Jesus is speaking to a certain particular people. He's not speaking to everyone. People are offended at this idea, but this is what's recorded. And the exclusivity of Christ is one of the most controversial things that people struggle with in the exclusive claims that he made and the exclusiveness of the claims that are made about him, concerning him. Here you have Jesus speaking. He says, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it is in parables. Why the parables? Well, he goes on to say, so that seeing they may not see. And hearing they may not understand. That's shocking to people. He was speaking in parables and People think that parables are so that we can understand things better. And really, Jesus is saying, no, the reason why I'm speaking in parables to these people is because seeing, they're not going to see. And in hearing, they won't hear or understand. And he also says, now the parable is this, the seed, the word, the logos of God, is those beside the road are those who have heard, then the devil comes 
and takes away the word, the logos, from their heart, so that they will not believe and be saved. That's what happens. That's why the parables. Hard to grasp that. He says that that's the, that's the case and that's the reason for the parables so that to those who have been granted to know the mysteries of God so that they will understand. But to those who have not been granted to know the mysteries, they wouldn't understand. But they would be guilty in having heard and having seen. They would still be responsible for everything after that fact, after that matter had come to pass. So that's one of the things that the Word does. It also, um, it is intended for those who are granted to know the mysteries. And another reason why we should rejoice in the peace that we have for the simplicity of the gospel. That is just another one of the reasons why. In Luke chapter 8, verses 20 and 21, a little bit further down, and listen to this here again. This is those who would be related to Christ. That's the focus here of the word here. Um, It says here in Luke chapter 8, verses 20 and 21, and it was reported to him, Jesus has been teaching in a synagogue or in in a house, and They're coming to him and they say to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. And I believe it says that their response was they thought he was beside himself. He was out of his head. And he didn't know what he was really talking about. He was kind of crazy like that. But it says that that your mother and your brother are standing outside wishing to see you. And I think that's recorded in one of the other gospels. He said, but he has answered and said to them, My mother and my brother are these who hear the word, the logos, of God and do it. Those are my brothers, my sisters. Those are my mother, those who do that. Remember, those who've been granted to be able to understand these things, to them, they're the ones who are related to me. Um, Those who are blessed and the distinction of those who are wicked... There's a distinction, an exclusivity. In Luke chapter 11, verses 27 through 29. Luke chapter 11, verses 27 through 29. A lot of these are in your bulletin. So if you didn't grab a bulletin, if you want to take those and, and go through them, they're in the Berean section and then the, some of them just the notation section. And it says that those who are, who are the blessed and the distinction of those who are wicked, listen to what's recorded for us here in Luke 11, verses 27 through 29. While Jesus was saying these things, note the person that's saying it. It's not just anybody. It's Jesus himself that is saying these things. Jesus was saying these things. One of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. What was his response? But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word, the logos of God, and observe it. It's the same thing. Because of the word that we've been given, what has been recorded for us in Scripture, in Holy Writ, we can rejoice at the fact that they're true. 
even more. We can, um, we can exalt His holy name even more because of who He is, because of these things being written and tried over and over and over and over again. That the Word of God is what, and the reason why, the, the foundational reason why we can trust what we see and what we read, what we rejoice in. In the, um, he says that those who hear the word, blessed are those who hear the word uh, logos and uh, of God and observe it. And then he says in verse 29, he says, as the crowds were increasing, he began to say. Now notice the distinction. Here comes the crowds. They're, they're coming. And he says, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks a sign. And no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. So remember, he had just said that the blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it, receive it, believe it, and apply it. And the crowds come and they're looking for a generation. He says they're wicked. This is a wicked generation. Imagine standing in the crowd and Jesus looking over that crowd Saying you're a wicked generation because you seek a sign. And no sign is going to be given except the sign of Jonah. And we know what that was. Three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, right? A sign of Jonah. Those who hear the word of God and observe it. I want to move to the book of John. John 3, 25 through 35. A little bit more reading here, but... I think it's important. In the book of John, it's recorded for us that uh, as Jesus teaches on being born again, and this is, I think, one of the most central parts of understanding when it comes to salvation, how it all works. John chapter 3 is critical. It's one of the most important things, and I think sometimes in large portion, it's one of the most misunderstood books in the Bible. People misapply it and don't understand what it is that he's saying. Um, he says here, as he's talking, remember he's talking with um, uh, Nicodemus. In the night, he came to him at night. And they're having this discussion. And then it says here in John chapter 3, verses 25 through 35, Therefore there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a, uh, with a Jew about purification. Um, so he's past talking with Nicodemus, now he's moved on, and here it says, And they came to John and said to him, uh, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, now who could that be? To whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and we, and our, oh, excuse me, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. So these are disciples of John, who have believed what he said, they're coming to him and saying, Hey, John, the, the one who was with you beyond the Jordan, he's baptizing now. And people are starting to come to him. What is their concern? Hey, we're losing our influence. <laughs> our, our, our group is being diminished. And John answers them in verse 27 and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. 
Now keep in mind that this is John speaking. It's not just, this isn't uh, Jesus, but this is John. And under the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. True. Don't have any life unless it's been given from heaven, right? God is the creator of life. He says, you yourselves are my witnesses that I said I'm not the Christ. But I have been sent ahead of him. That's true humility. To understand that he's going to play an important part, but he knows in his obedience, he's applied the word that came to him. I said, I'm not the one. How many people would be tempted to say, well, you know, I might be the one. In our fallen flesh, I think a lot of us. Um, He says, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. Then he says, verse 29, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase and I must decrease. Man, that is so contrary to human nature. How many of us want to be the top dog? (laughs) In our fallenness? Come on, let's admit it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, In our fallenness? Yeah, we want to be the top dog. We We like that position. It's mostly a guy thing. But, but, but some women still struggle with that too. They like to be at the top of the pecking order. And so here's John, and he's, he's in his, his, uh, under the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, this is a joy of mine. This joy is, is made full because he must increase and I must decrease. And then he says this. This is what I would really, really caught my attention when I was reading through these things. He says in verse 31, He who comes from above is above all. The only other person that I see in Scripture that wrote about these types of things, that expressed this stuff, was Jesus Himself. He says, He said the same thing. I come from above. You come from below. You see that in John chapter 8. And here you have John. He's speaking... Heavenly speech, really. Spirit-filled speech. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he testifies. This sounds like Jesus speaking. That's what's amazing to me. This is John. John the baptizer. This sounds exactly like what Jesus was going to say, what's been recorded for us in the, in the other parts of the book of John. He says, what he has seen and heard, of that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has set a seal to this, that God is true. Amen? That God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks what? The words. Here is the word rhema. The one whom God has sent speaks the rhema of God. This is John testifying that the one who I'm going before 
He's the one who's going to speak the very words of God. And that you can trust. And listen to what he says. This is, this is the kicker here. He says, for he gives the spirit without measure. And the father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. Amazing. The word. He's testifying that Jesus is the one who is of the father. And all things will be given into his hands and that he'll give the spirit without measure. Hallelujah. Because of the word. Because of the the sword of the spirit. That which has been granted to us as believers. As part of that full armor. Jesus even goes so far um, as to make clear those who hear the word of God and those who do not and cannot and why this is so. In John chapter 8, which I had mentioned a little bit earlier, in verses 46 and 48, I know we're going to a lot of different verses and a lot of different passages, but I think it's important. Here you have John that has recorded for us the words of Jesus. In John chapter 8, verses 46 and 48, he says, Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? And listen to this. He who is of God hears the words, the rhema of God. Amazing. For this reason, reason, you do not hear because you are not of God. Man, that had to strike right through to their heart like a sword piercing them. Yeah. You don't hear the words of God because you're not of God. What did the Jews answer? Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Yeah. A Samaritan and you have a demon. That's pretty darn close, if not totally guilty of blaspheming the Holy Spirit there. That's pretty scary, scary language. Jesus makes that distinction. He says, you don't, you can't hear these words because you're not of God. You must be of God in order for you to hear them and understand them, and for them to be made clear to you. The rhema of God, the spoken word. Remember, John had just said, or he said earlier in, in chapter 3, that, that he will speak the rhema of God. And here that same word is used. He who is of God hears the words of God, the rhema of God. What about the things that are hidden and revealed and given to his own? In Colossians 1, 24 and 28. Colossians 1, 24 and 28. Now we have the writings of Paul that, um, that buttress up everything that we've read to this point. And now here Paul is speaking to the church, to this newly born movement of God. Colossians 1, verses 24 and 28 through 28. He says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Even in suffering, there is rejoicing, there's joy. And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, 
which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, the Logos. That is the mystery, and this is um, similar to what we read, remember, in uh, Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 and 3, where Paul tells about this, that the, the gospel was hidden for thousands of years until it was revealed through the church and through his apostles, and especially through his apostles. He says, I, I, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the gospel, or the, the logos, excuse me, of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. And uh, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. So God is the one who has um, willed to make known what is the riches of the glories of this mystery among the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? That'd be us. <laughs> That'd be we. Right? And amongst those people, especially there, the Greeks and the, those who were not of the Jews. And then he says, which is Christ in you? This revealing of this mystery that Christ is in us. For those who are believers, who are true believers in Christ... Christ is in you. He is the hope of glory. He says, We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. We proclaim Him. That is our singular focus as Christians and should be our singular focus. The Word of God, the Logos, speaking the Word. When you are witnessing to someone, they are hopefully hearing the rhema of God. God speaking through you because Christ is in you and the Holy Spirit manifests His power through His people, through the Word. That's why it's so essential to know the Word. Even if uh, I hear people say, you know, I just, I just can't retain. It's like, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. You know why? Because Jesus said that if you believe Him, those who believe Him within them will be living waters that will what? That will flow forth life. At that moment, when that time comes, it will just well up in you. And if you don't get freaked out by it, because it can freak you out. You, yeah. Sometimes even when you're doing that, you just start thinking, where is this coming from? I didn't even know I knew this. It's happened. It has happened over and over again because He lives in you because of the word that he has given us. And like Paul says, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. That's why. In Hebrews 
4, verses 11 through 13. Hebrews 4, verses 11 through 13. This is what is written. So we don't know for sure who the writer of Hebrews. A lot of people have a lot of their um, opinions. Not even sure exactly why and, and who it was written to, but we know that it's there and it's always been accepted, you know, as the Word of God. Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. The writer says this, he says, Therefore, let us be diligent to enter the rest. Praise God. Yeah, Jesus is our rest. He's our rest. He says, Therefore, let us be diligent to enter into that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word, the logos of God, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what the Word can do. That's what the sharp Word of God, the sword of the Spirit can do. It, it will even judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from His sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Sounds like a solemn warning, doesn't it? While there's one reason to rejoice, it's always a reminder that there's one who always has their eyes open and lays bare everything before Him. And He's the one with whom we have to do. I like that. I don't care how much people protest, one of these days, they're going to have to do with Him. No matter how much they would protest. So we see that the Word of God is uh, which the sword uh, of what? It's a sword of the Spirit. Yeah. Of the Spirit of Jesus is recording as stating. I want to go back to John real quick in uh, 662 and 64, what's recorded there. Jesus asks this question What then, in John 6, 62 and 64, what then if you see the man, a son of man, ascending to where he was before? That's making a bold assumption there, bold statement. And it's very clear what he's talking about if we know the book of Daniel. What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The implication being where he is now is not where he was before. There was a before. He says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words, the rhema, that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. What is the rhema? The words. The words of what? The words of God. He says, those words that I have spoken to you, they're spirit and they're life. But there are some of you who do not believe. It says, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes and yes. Yeah. 
I think here it might be that focus of from the beginning of his ministry, but yes, I think more than that. And he says that. He says, look, it's the Spirit. And unless you're of the Spirit, these words mean nothing. Because they can't. Because the flesh profits nothing. There's nothing that we can do ever to try to please God. Anything that we do in our own flesh profits nothing. Empty set. Zero. It's only that which is part of the Spirit. And that's the awesome thing about that is there's so many times when we've done things in the Spirit that we're not even aware of. That's awesome. Because if our names are written in the book of life, they're being recorded somewhere else. And even if we're not aware of them. Yeah. What a great king that we have. So we have these words. We have the reason that we can do this because it's foundational, it's trustworthy, and it's worthy of our time. And I want to um, start rolling this up with Second Peter. Second Peter says this in verses 16 through 21. Remember, Peter was one of the, the main three that were always with Jesus when he was in his ministry. And it was Peter, James, and John who were almost singularly, those three were always among the group that was always with Jesus. And the other ones were somewhere near, but they weren't that inner group. And in 2 Peter, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is, is reminded, and he says, he says in his writing, as he's writing to this, uh, to this early church, he says, For we do not follow cleverly devised tales. Why would he say that? Because it sounds like cleverly devised tales, right? And that's what the skeptics say. All these things, they had to get together and, and make this stuff up. There's after the fact. Come on, man, it's too, too accurate. It's, it's too straightforward. It's too right on. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were made eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. Here I believe he's talking about the Shekinah or the Shekinah glory that is spoken of in the Old Testament in Ezekiel. That we see at the one time where it leaves to depart from Israel because God had left. He says this majestic glory, this cloud that illumined where we were at. And out of this glory, these words were heard. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. There was no other creature in the history of time that this voice ever spoke this of, except of the, this time that Peter was witness to this. He says, I was a witness to this. I was there on that mountain. I was there when I saw that. I was there when I heard that. And I was there when I saw Jesus in His glory. And I think that it was just a splinter of the glory 
that is truly His. I don't think it was a full-on glory. I think that it was just a little tiny sliver of that glory that is truly His and that we will one day see in all its strength and all its glory and all its majesty. He says, He heard, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. Verse 19, so we have the prophetic word, the Logos, made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. The flesh profits nothing. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God, the rhema. This is what we have. And we've been privileged, so privileged to be able to have this with us. The Word of God. To be able to know that this is true, and this is one of the things that we can um, exalt in, in the fact that Jesus indeed did come. That he fulfilled all the things that were spoken. That they have come to pass, many of those things, and here's the wondrous part, there are still a few things left to be fulfilled. And one way or the other, those of us who are in Christ, we'll get to see them with our own eyes, in our own flesh, hear them with our own ears, experience them in the fullness of all their glory. Man, that sends shivers up my spine to think about that. Like Job said, so thousands and thousands and thousands of years before all this stuff came to pass, I know that my Redeemer lives and that I will on the last day see Him with my own eyes in my own flesh and experience that because of the Word that we have, the sword of the Spirit. That's why it's so powerful. That's why we should not be ashamed to claim it and to use it as that weapon that it is. Not to cut people down for the sake of cutting them down, for the sake of their salvation. For the sake that they, that they might come to know the truth of who it was that visited and came and disrobed himself for a moment with those royal, majestic robes so that he might for a little while put on our ragged, torn, tattered shabby rags of humanity to pay that ultimate price, to be able to, at the end of his life, cry out to tell us thy, it is finished. It's done. It's paid for in full. That is what his word does. It establishes all these things because they were spoken and they're true. And yes, there's 
the probabilities of all those things that excite us in certain different ways and some of us more than others. But it was a chance of one and one because one and done because of who spoke it. This is the way that it's going to be. And that we can trust. And that we can exalt all the more. That we can enjoy this season. And that we can know that we have peace. And that we can know it's because of the simplicity of the gospel. That is what the Word establishes. This, this sword of the Spirit. Use it. Utilize it. Learn how to handle that. Feel that balancing. <laughs> yeah. I'm reminded of that scene in, in uh, um, I think it was the Two Towers, where King Theoden was, he had been under this spell. And when the spell was finally broken, the, one of the first things they did was they put his sword in his hands. And Gandalf says, be reminded of the strength you once had to wield that sword of yours, that kingly sword. That's what we have, the sword of the Spirit. That's what we should rejoice in, in the fact that we have it. And we have a shield. The Word establishes that we have the, um, that we have the uh, helmet of salvation. The Word establishes that we have the, the helmet of salvation. It establishes the fact that we have the shield of faith that protects us from the flaming missiles of the enemy. That we have the pre preparation of the gospel of peace shotting, that are shot on our feet. That we have our, our loins girded up with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And that we, having girded ourselves with these things, that we can stand firm. And again, as Paul says twice in a row, therefore stand firm because of the sword of the Spirit. And it all goes back to that, to the word, the rhema of God that He has given us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank You. We praise You for Your word, Lord. We thank You that You are, um, that You have sent us the Logos, the word, and that He has spoken to us the rhema, the word of God, and that has been recorded, and we can trust it. And we can worship all the more, we can celebrate all the more, and we can be in wonder all the more. Because you have spoken these things, they have come to pass over and over and over again. And they're tried, and they're tested, and they're true. We thank you, Lord. We bless you. You are good. And you have revealed yourself to paupers like us, we thank you that you've taken lepers like us and you've called us clean and you've made us clean and you've clothed us in your holy robes and you've clothed us in your righteousness and your goodness. You've clothed us in your holiness. We thank you, Lord, that you've removed far from us the stain of our sin. And that you've left in us the glory of the King who is to come. Lord, we thank you for all these things and more. Help us to rejoice. Help us to promote that peace. And help us to simply speak the gospel 
to those who are in need. Lord, we thank you, we love you, we praise you, we bless you at this time. In Jesus' holy name, amen.